Welcome to episode 58 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the man who is eager for winter to go away, Mm -hmm. John Scott Sloat. Let me tell you, having a driveway when it's snowing multiple times a week, not a good situation. Yes, yes. And we've got a a spot on our driveway where because of the way the sun uh, moves throughout the day, never hits it. Yeah, I I have the same thing. And so there's that spot that the sun never helps you out with. Yeah, yeah. And even even on like a 10-degree day, the sun helps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we are in the throes of winter and uh, the vault studio here is no exception as it is a – It's quite frigid. A tepid uh, temperature in here. Mm -hmm. But uh, we will persevere. We will push through the pain to bring you podcast content to get you through the next 40 f- to 45-ish minutes of your life. Yeah, and that's why we have coffee, you know, warms Indeed. you up. Indeed. So we would love for you to connect with us. And there are multiple different ways you can do this. You can connect with us on Twitter, at Pod. You can find us on Facebook and like our page and share it with others and follow it. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. And we have just this week added a new uh, distributor of our mm-hmm. podcast. We sure did. Yes, we have uh, now made our podcast available on Amazon Music. Very exciting. And I think Audible by extension. Yeah. Like I think it's on – if you want to subscribe to Audible in order to get our podcast, I think it's there too. Okay. Although okay. I'm not 100% sure, but it's definitely on Amazon Music. Yes, and and we are in the final stages of providing another platform for you to uh, listen to the podcast, but we're not quite ready to announce it yet. We're, we're just not sure it's going to work. Yeah, we want to make yeah. sure it works yeah. before we before we uh, before we announce it. But we're we're pretty excited about that. Uh, Regardless of whatever platform you uh, access our show, we would love for you to leave a uh, a review and a rating. Uh, ideally, if you could go to um, the Apple Podcast app and uh, leave a five star rating as well as a review, we would love to love to see that. Or wherever you can leave reviews. I don't know if you can on Amazon Music, but if you can, go ahead and do so. Stitcher. Yeah, let's get our what, people on yeah. to figure out what, what that looks like. Yeah, but we're really only There could be a whole world yeah. of reviews out there and ratings that we are simply unaware mm-hmm. of. So uh, let's uh, let's get started with uh, sports. We're recording on a Monday morning, and so it's the Monday mor- or Monday afternoon, I should say, and uh, it's the day after the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. A little sluggish this morning, getting up. Yeah. It's a tough morning to get up after the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's always disappointing when the when the Super Bowl is not the most entertaining football game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, see, I, I sort of came of age uh, during that stretch in terms of watching football when there was a large stretch of the '90s where the Super Bowl was a blowout hmm. consistently. Like the there was just a, a a stretch where the NFC just took it to the AFC every single year. So. Um, We've kind of been spoiled of the last handful of years at least where there's been competitive games down to the wire. This one was just a bit of a dud. Yeah, never really – uh, the Chiefs never really got going. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, boy, from the start, it just looked like uh, the Chiefs could not protect Patrick Mahomes, that he was constantly running for his life. Yeah, I, I did see that one of the left or the left or right tackle, which, whichever one it was, was the same left or right tackle that was on, uh, a, on I believe, uh, when Von Miller got the MVP. And this guy got beat by Von Miller so much that Von Miller got Super Bowl MVP. Um, and uh, and now he was on the Chiefs, and, and then basically the, the the Bucks defensive line won them the game last night. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean the the uh, the Buccaneers scored 31 points, and you would have thought going into the game that the Chiefs would score at least in the mid 20s, if not match around a 30 spot. So, yeah. um, the fact that they were unable to do so was uh, was surprising. I think to me, and they didn't least. score a touchdown. Yeah, that was stunning. That was absolutely stunning. Now, there were a couple of, um, especially early on, just some uncharacteristic dropped passes Mm -hmm. where uh, Travis Kelsey dropped one. I think Tyreek Hill dropped one just that could have sustained drives and gotten some more momentum going, but just never, uh, never really happened. And Tom Brady, I mean, as much as we don't like him and, you know, he is a human eye roll. um, (laughs) Yes. He he played amazing. He did. Uh, he played really, really well. And, uh, you know, like most older people, just moving on to Florida. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, though he has he has yet to retire. Yeah. He's, he's still working. So, yeah, his, uh, his seventh Super Bowl victory, something that is uh, – it's just hard to envision that being matched. Ever, yeah. yeah. Well, he's been to – He's out been of, to 10. Out of 20 Super Bowls, the last 20 Super Bowls, he's been at 10 of them. Yeah. That's insane. Well, and and it's it's crazy to think that he by himself has won more Super Bowls than any single individual franchise has in the history of the NFL. Yeah. That's just, just mind-boggling. Yeah. Oh, did you see uh, Robert Horry uh, congratulated him on joining the seven championship club? No, I'd miss that. Yeah, that was on Twitter last night. I thought that was good. Big shot Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Though an obvious difference there is Robert Ory was never like the guy <laughs> on any of those championship yeah. teams. Always a really important, valuable role player. Mm-hmm. And saw minutes, like, like was on the floor oh, yeah. all the time. All the yeah. time. And, and he has the nickname Big Shot Bob, Big Shot Rob, for a reason. He, mm-hmm. he hit some massive shots in playoff games. But he was never the star. But he was never the guy, mm-hmm. you know, so – in any case, uh, another big feature of the Super Bowl is the commercials. Any of them? The, did Did you pay attention to the to the commercials? Um, less so. So my life group got together and watched it, and we had a two year old running around, so he was occupying a good portion of everyone's <laughs> attention. Um, but caught a caught a caught a few. Okay. Um, they were okay. Yeah, none of them stood out to me, but like you, I was not paying close attention. Um, we also had we had a a full complement of children running mm. about from our life group, uh, so that uh, that that provided plenty of entertainment between uh, between plays. Yeah, yeah. Um, the halftime show also was different. Yeah, I didn't pay attention to it. Okay, um, it w- it was something else. I'm of the age where I'm, I'm now I, – I don't recognize 
who these performers are. I catch a song and I'm like, OK, I've heard that song before. But I, I have no idea who that is. Did you watch it or did you just um, – It was on in the background. So I okay. caught occasional okay. glimpses of it. Um, it was weird. What was weird about it? Everything. Um, <laughs> first of all, it happened – most of it happened in the upper bowl okay. of the stadium. And then at some point, he went inside and basically was dancing in a funhouse mirror room with a selfie stick. And this was the – this was his his singing. And then he came down on the field, no musical guests. Nobody else uh-huh. was there with him. It was just him. Um, yeah, and he was uh, – I feel like at one point I looked up and it looked like – it looked like they were on the field. Maybe not. But there were dancers – did they and have they, diapers on their heads? They had something covering their face. Was, yeah. was that was that diapers? It looked like a diaper or tidy whities or something that <laughs> that something had been pulled over their heads. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what that was about. I don't think it was a health and safety measure um, by any stretch. I don't think the CDC was involved in the halftime show, but it did happen. It was on social media. It it was weird. Okay. The whole thing was a little weird. All right. Uh, elsewhere in the NFL, there's still lots of buzz about sort of quarterback movement. Um, Carson Wentz seems to be uh, a bit of a commodity. I've heard the Bears are especially interested in him potentially. I've heard Bears, Colts, yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think Carson Wentz is just irreparably broken? Um I don't know. I think I could see him being like a good catch, like somebody that, that you bring in, you, you get his mind straight because that seems to be one of the major issues is his head's not screwed on right at the moment. Uh, but I think the larger issue is like people are coming out going like, yeah, he's a pretty awful teammate. Um, and I, th- I think that's more concerning than anything about Carson Wentz. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't know what to make. He had such a strong start to his career and then it, you know, he get, he was, he's been injury prone. Sure. And then of course, most notably – he gets hurt and then his backup comes in, and wins, Nick Foles, yeah. and leads the Eagles to their first Super Bowl championship ever. That's yeah. got to mess with your head as a starting quarterback. Yeah, that's weird. So uh, NBA, what's going on with your Knicks? Um, I think they dipped just below 500. Um, but, you know, still competitive in games. You know, it's I think for the whole season that'll be that'll be good enough, you know. In and around 500, I think it'll just be fun. Okay. I, I've i paid attention to a little bit of the NBA. And what what strikes me is – and I haven't looked at the numbers, but this feels more anecdotal perhaps. But I feel like the scoring is up. Like that the, the, the kind of scores I'm seeing uh, are higher than normal. That it's It used to be uncommon to see a final score, something like – over 120 in regulation. Mm-hmm. And now it feels like that's happening relatively often. Even, you know, there was the, a couple weeks ago, there was the the uh, the Nets-Wizards game where the final was 149-147 in regulation. Yeah. Not in overtime, yeah. not in double overtime, but in regulation. It's like Mike D'Antoni has cloned himself and he is coaching all <laughs> the NBA teams at the moment. I guess. It does make you wonder if they will make some officiating changes, if that trend continues, because they there's been a big emphasis on player movement. They they wanted to get you know this is the pendulum swing from the like the 90s mm-hmm. when you had the Knicks and the Heat, and they just 
wanted to play, you know, some like very physical version of like street ball where yeah. it was just like um, unless you break a limb or there's a gash coming from your forehead, it's not a foul play on. Yeah. And so the scores were like 82-79, you know, and that was a harder product to sell in terms of just watchability. Sure. Now we're on the other end perhaps of maybe we need to give something back to the defense in terms of some of the officiating points of emphasis. I mean part of it is the explosion of the three-point shot and analytics is basically mm -hmm. – uh, there's someone I follow on Twitter who posted – I forget who did the original post, but they did a – um, they did a shot chart of like where people shot from in the NBA during a season in like the 90s. Hmm. And it was all over the place. It was, you know, mid-range game was there. And then they did one from last season. And it's literally all outside the three-point arc or all within like five to seven feet of the basket. Yeah, the mid-range so game has disappeared <laughs> in large manner. So really high percent shots or three-point shots, more more value shots. Correct. Hmm. Correct. So anyway, uh, college basketball, uh, Gonzaga and Baylor continue undefeated. Uh, Ohio State notches a big road win at Iowa. They are now ranked fourth in the country. I think that's probably too high, but I'll take it. <laughs> and um, what is most notable is this is a disastrous year for the Blue Blood programs. And what I mean by that is like some of these big name programs that kind of kind of are synonymous with college basketball are not playing well. So listen to this statistic. This is the first time since December of 1961. So almost 60 years. Mm -hmm. This is the first poll, the AP poll that came out just today when we're recording in which none of these teams are ranked. Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and UCLA. None of those teams are ranked. That hasn't happened in almost 60 years. I think it is 60 years. Well, December of 61. Oh, December of 61. So, okay. okay, so we've got – yeah. 59 and change. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, when you think of college basketball success throughout the years, those are the – so those are some oh, of the yeah, first the, names. Those you're, are the ones that are always at the off. top, yeah. And um, Michigan State could be thrown in there well, as well. Michigan State's not ranked, hmm. which they're more of a blue blood in the last like 20 to 25 years. Those other programs I mentioned have been historically good for 60 or 70 years minimum. Hmm. Yeah, so, I don't know what to make of that. Um, I don't either. We were talking about our favorite or my favorite game from college basketball over the weekend. Yes. Would you like to uh, in, inform our listeners of that? Yeah, yeah. Houston – uh, fifth ranked, uh, Houston beat uh, Lady of the Lake uh, College uh, from San Antonio, an NAI school. Uh, I believe the spread was 40. Oh, gosh. And they won by 60. Um, I don't know how the fifth best team in the country gets an NAI school on their schedule, but it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird enough year that I guess I'm not. Lady of the Lake. Just a singular lake, not lakes. It might be Lady of the Lakes now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Where are they located? San Antonio. Okay. Yeah. San Antonio is a lovely city. Have you been there? I have not been. I, I don't actually think I've ever been to Texas. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, San Antonio is a good 
just a nice city. Got a nice river walk through there. Good restaurants. Does it have a lot of lakes? Mm, not that I'm aware. Not of. especially. No. no. So maybe it's just lake, lake singular. Perhaps. Maybe there's a lake nearby. Hmm. Yeah. Lady of the Lake. Yeah, your new favorite team. Yeah. Yeah. So since we are coming up, uh, we're, we're recording on this this lovely February. Um, what is today? The eighth, I think. Eighth, yeah. yeah. And this will be the last episode before Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Yep. And so our topic today is we've affectionately uh, entitled it "What Is Love." And I know you've now got the song going in your head. Do you know who sings that? I don't. I don't. I was trying to remember. But um, – I don't know. Who, you know, Nate in Ohio is going to be upset. We don't know who sings this. <laughs> yes. Well, in we're fairness – yelled at. In fairness, yeah. we, we were um, rightly, I think, rebuked for not having seen Groundhog Day. I still haven't seen Groundhog Day. I, I haven't yeah. either. But um, I've got Hathaway in 1993 – I've never I – mean, huh. Must be a one-hit wonder. Yeah. OK. Live Google research. Great programming strategy. In yeah. any case, our topic for today is uh, the whole subject of love. Obviously, Valentine's Day uh, is a pretty uh, significant cultural moment every year. Sure. And, uh, you know, uh, consider this your reminder if you have yet to appropriately um, get something for your significant other to express have, have your Have you affection. bought something for your wife yet? Um, I have. Okay. I have. Nice work. <laughs> and you? Yeah, yeah, a couple weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, I, this time of year for me, I, I, I hit this window where I get Christmas mm -hmm. and then my wife's birthday and then Valentine's Day. And then our anniversary, all within about a ninety-day window. So, it, it's that's a lot. It, it's yeah. a lot. I feel the pressure of uh, mm. of making sure I I I, I get the uh, I get the gifts lined up for that. Yeah, got to space them out as well. You know. Yes. Hmm. Yes. So, um, let's start with just thinking about culturally speaking. How do you think our culture perceives the idea of love? Just broadly considered, not necessarily just romantic love, but um, I, I think, and this might be too big of a statement, but essential to the human experience. Okay, you know, if we're speaking very broadly, mm -hmm. that that they would see it as something that that is very necessary and needed to be human. Okay, and that would be something I think I think for the secular person. That would say this is something that separates us from the animals at some level is that we have this capacity to love. Um, I think – and often as I'm watching TV or movies or whatever, I often go – I want them to define it because sure. they often don't uh, define love. But yeah, that's what I naturally think of. What do, what do you think of? Yeah, I think, I think our culture probably gravitates towards um, – Primarily towards romantic love, but uh, even more concept, even broad, more broadly, I think that love is most regularly associated with the idea of affection or a feeling. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I think you see this come out, you know, in a wide variety of ways. Uh, I think for me, what reminded me of this is yesterday, my wife and I uh, are doing some uh, some premarital counseling with a couple that's about to get married coming up in a few months. And um, we're using the book by John Piper. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the title of this it? Momentary this marriage? Momentary Marriage. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Which good book. And uh, one of the chapters, um, I can't remember if it's a chapter heading maybe, or maybe it's a, just a, a, a section heading. But um, basically it's along the lines of marriage is not about staying in love. And the point he's trying to make is, is that if you if you base marriage in the feelings realm mm-hmm. and you say that marriage I, I will I will remain married to you as long as I have this feeling. And that if that feeling goes away, then I no longer am obligated to remain married to you. And you know, you hear it all over the culture. Well, they just fell out of love. Mm-hmm. As if it's completely rooted in a feeling or some sort of emotion and not something a little bit more uh, robust and mm-hmm. steady. Yeah, it's not a – it's like <laughs> I I think that that concept of I will uh, – I am committed to you and I love you and I will stay married to you as long as, you know, I think that's where you go wrong. Any, anytime <laughs> there's conditions on a covenant, then then you've lost your way, Yeah, you know. Um, the the idea is that like um, I think goodness I want to say it was Elizabeth Elliot that said this although I could be wrong and I'm probably going to misquote her but I'm going to try anyway. Go for it. Um, she was at a wedding or something like that. I was giving a toast or a speech or of some kind and says uh, 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 today love brought us together and our today love made our covenants tomorrow covenants will make our love um so mm-hmm. living out in commitment to that covenant um is what brings about is what brings about that love yeah so i thought uh it would be good for us to just kind of think through to start with some of the key biblical texts mm-hmm. that inform us about love and actually i'll start with one that um that I would say shows the centrality of love. When you think about um, when Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he essentially said, and you can find this in Matthew 22, um, I think it's like 36 to 40, somewhere around there. Uh, basically, Jesus responded with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he said, and the second commandment is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So it seems like uh, – it seems very clear that Jesus is using that as a summary of uh, the whole Bible kind of hangs on those two commandments, loving God and loving others. And so the centrality of, of love uh, comes to the forefront there. But I think we also need to look at some other texts that help us maybe get a better sense of well, what does it mean to love God or to love another person? So you got one for us? Uh, yeah, yeah. You want me to read it? Yeah, sure. Which one? Okay, First uh, John uh, okay. 4, 7, and 12. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves 
has been born of God and knows God. Uh, anyone who does not love uh, does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, uh, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this uh, is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, beloved, if God so loved us, uh, we also ought to love one another. Uh, no one has ever seen God. Uh, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Doc, that said love a lot. <laughs> it did. It was classic John as oh, yeah. well. Um, yes. Help me understand it. Yeah, I think that text um, – and again, this is where it, it it is so important to make sure you read context, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's common for people to uh, just pull out of that um, out of that idea here, uh, out of that passage. Oh, God is love, and then act as if that's self-explanatory. Right, it's as or if, filling it with their own cultural understanding of what love is. Exactly, uh, and so in the passage, John makes it clear that this the, the love he's talking about that is true of God uh, is rooted in action. Mm-hmm. It's rooted in. Uh, it's not. I should say. It's not rooted in the loveliness of the object loved. Mm-hmm. I think our culture uh, very much roots the idea of love in that idea of, well, I will love you if you're lovable, mm-hmm. if you're worthy, if you're, if you're attractive or if you have certain qualities that, that love is rooted or based on the worthiness of the person being loved or the thing being loved. And God's love is the exact opposite. He loves what is in and of itself completely unworthy Mm -hmm. and deserving of his wrath and his justice. And yet he shows that kind of love to us and it's embodied in the sending of his son to die for our sins. That big word propitiation in there is a way of talking about God satisfying his wrath against us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Yeah, I, I'd also add that the God, the love that God shows for us in sending us his son is a model for us, right? Yeah. Where, where God is um, what uh, I think John Stott and I, I think even Tim Keller would say God donating himself to us or, or mm-hmm. a self-giving of himself to us. Um, and in that way, we're supposed to do the same thing. That That's a part of loving is – the giving of ourselves uh, in service to others. Yeah, absolutely. It it you know, John is very explicit about that being the pattern of the love that we are to have for others. And um, boy, when you when you stop to think about how hard that is, sometimes it it should drive us to a greater dependence on God to enable us to do that. Mm-hmm. Because uh, breaking news, there are some unlovely, unlovable almost people that you will encounter. Absolutely, yeah. Could be a neighbor, 
could be a coworker, could even be a family member mm-hmm. who through their actions or words or other just characteristics uh, has really nothing to commend themselves to you. And yet God calls you to love them and to seek their best, to seek what is best for them. And um, that's part of what makes us as Christians stand out, at least according to Scripture, Mm -hmm. is our love for one another as believers, but even love for unbelievers. Uh, And, you know, Jesus makes the point in Luke 6 that if you if you just love people who love you, that's no big deal. Like that's standard human nature. It's natural to love people who love you. Yeah. Like yeah. that that's nothing special. But he goes on to say basically love your enemies. Mm-hmm. Love the people who hate you, who are opposed to you. And not to get political here, but I do think that this passage does apply. It's Luke 6. It does apply to our current cultural moment mm-hmm. that maybe a, a little bit more reflection on what does it mean to love your enemies, however you want to define them, could go a long way towards us as believers knowing how to live in this cultural moment. Have I stepped too far? I, I, I think you barely have stepped far enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you would need to. I think you need to step further. Is what I'm. Is what I'm trying well, if to you say. want, if you want to extend it, go no, ahead. No, no, no. This is this is you. You started us down this political road. I'm going to let you uh, uh, walk us to the gates of hell here. You know. <laughs> In any case, I think that. Um, but I do think you're right. I do think this applies to our current political situation that yeah. we that we find ourselves in. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I do think um, I do think it's probably helpful for us to think a little bit about um, the nature of love, and that's why I want to come back to even this idea of the pursuit of what is best for the other person. Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes we get this misguided sense of what love is, and that we we conclude that well, yes. This person is in the wrong or is is in sin and, man, someone should probably confront him. But it doesn't feel very loving mm-hmm. to confront someone about their sin. Like that can be kind of the mindset. So what would your response be if, if you're talking with a student and, and he's saying like, look, my roommate is doing this and it's clearly wrong mm-hmm. and – but I just don't want to feel like it's very loving for me to call him out on it and, and confront him about that. Yeah, I mean, usually, usually my my uh, be, being an RT in the dorm, this came up uh, fairly regularly, um, and usually I had a twofold piece of advice. One is uh, the idea that you just would let them continue down this road would be incredibly dangerous and incredibly unloving of to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is a need for confrontation. Um, the second piece of advice is, is in the same way, there are some people that really love to confront and love to tell others when they are wrong. Um, yes. And so uh, being able to speak the truth in a way that honors the truth is also very loving um, and saying it in a way that they will receive it yeah. um, is also loving. So, so those, are, those are the two pieces of uh, 
of wisdom on how to how to confront in, in those ways that I that I often give to students. Yeah, and I think I've used this illustration uh, many times, but um, I think it's 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 helpful. You know, imagine if you uh, if you went to the doctor. And the doctor gets the test results back and he's run all the diagnostics and it comes back that you have um, a serious form of cancer or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the doctor thinks, man, if I tell this patient <laughs> that he's got cancer, like it'll wreck him. Like he'll, he'll, be, he'll be so sad. He'll be you – know, it'll – like I just don't – is it loving for me to tell him I mean, it'll ruin not just his day, but his week, his month, the next six months. Like, it's just going to ruin him. Well, of course not. Like, the, the doctor knows. Yeah, you got you got to tell. Him. I got to tell this yeah. patient, and that the most loving thing the doctor can do is communicate clearly, but in a compassionate way. Mm -hmm. Here is what's happening, and here is what's um, here's what we're going to try to do to try to help you. Yeah, yeah. You don't want the doctor that's like, yeah, you got cancer, and it's not looking good. Right. <laughs> you're you're a goner. You know, yeah. you you don't want that guy. Yeah. Um, I, I, either. So, um, one thing I wanted to come around to is, um, well, actually, before I, I want to hit on one other text, and we won't read it, but uh, I mean, First Corinthians thirteen might be the most well known biblical text on love. Classic. Would you say? Yeah, classic love text. In, in, in many. Uh, for many, many years. I don't know if it's as common anymore, but it was sort of a standard piece at a wedding mm -hmm. that you had First Corinthians, even if you weren't even necessarily Christians. That you, If you got married in, a, in any sort of loose church context, inevitably that passage was probably going to be read. I actually heard it quoted in a, a, in a marriage discussion on a, on a mid-2000s sitcom. It was, yeah. it was it was that it's that popular. Yes. And what's striking about that is when you actually go back and look at the passage, it has nothing to do with marriage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, in the context, I mean, obviously, you can extend out the principles there. Mm -hmm. But in the context, it's about how you interact with fellow believers mm -hmm. and the idea of being patient and kind, not keeping a track record of wrongs, all those sorts of things. Uh, I think sometimes that's been sort of lifted out of its context and, and given people the impression that, oh, this is just about marriage. Well, no, it's about how we interact with other people in general mm -hmm. and um, going back to rooting it ultimately in what, um, what Scripture shows us as God's prior love of us. Yeah. But I wanted to get to um, something of a – I will hit these briefly because we're running out of time here. But um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. Did you ever read that, John? I've dipped into parts of it. I've never read the whole thing through. Yeah. So it's a shorter book, but um, he's trying to distinguish different forms of love. And he, he at one level, he kind of roots this in some some Greek terms, which can be a little questionable, I suppose. But in, in any case – uh, he distinguishes four different types of love. Uh, the first is what he kind of refers to as affection, where it's characterized by warmth and familiarity rooted in the loveliness of the object. Hmm. Uh, the second he calls a sort of friendship love, 
uh, rooted in common interests. Yeah, that's the one I've done the deepest dive on. What's interesting, though, is when you read through that, of these four loves, Lewis actually thinks this one is the least um, necessary. Um, yes, he I, he does say that, but he says it's sort of like art or philosophy. You know, it's one of those things that's not needed but gives, gives meaning and significance to yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, third kind of love, uh, romantic or erotic. Um, that's um, uh, in in some ways, I think, almost self-explanatory when it comes to. Mm-hmm. Um, a a strong emotional sense directed towards someone. Um, he he makes the comment that it's the he, he refers to it as the least thought about, hmm. but the most strongly felt, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, fair. <laughs> yeah, um, and then lastly, uh, what he calls charity or divine love, uh, rooted in the Greek term agape. Mm-hmm. Uh, he refers to this essentially as it's not natural and it goes against our wiring because it it is self-sacrificial. Mm-hmm. It is um, often to the personal detriment of yourself to extend it to someone else. So, Yeah. Did you notice that these Greek words did not make an appearance in a Super Bowl commercial this year? You're right. Was they, that and they did the, last, last year. year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, these, I had forgotten about these that. four terms made at Super Bowl. Somebody asked me last night at the Super Bowl party, so Greek going to make an appearance in this year's <laughs> Super Bowl? And I just went, what? And then I remembered that commercial. Was yeah. it an insurance? What was the I, product or the service? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't remember no, either. it wasn't about C.S. Lewis, though. I'll tell no, you that No, it was much. not. Yeah. No, it was not. I'll, I'll tell, a, uh, tell a quick story to wrap us up on this subject. But um, when I was uh, – when I was a senior in college, uh, by that point, I had been uh, friends with my wife, not wife at the time, but mm-hmm. uh, for over three years at that point. And I was sort of coming to this kind of uh, not crisis moment, but this sort of this culminating moment of trying to sort out what my genuine feelings for her were. And I actually took a day and um, fasted. And read through significant chunks, if not most, if not all of the four loves to hmm. help me sort out what I was experiencing. And that was a pretty key component in me realizing that my feelings for Kate were beyond friendship or just a general uh, love for um, for my fellow believer. Hmm. So fun to see the uh, to fun to to have something like that kind of crystallize it for me. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, the only direct recommended resource we've got listed here is um, the C.S. Lewis book, The Four Loves. Yeah, we'll have that in the show notes. We'll make sure that's included in the show notes. Uh, any final thoughts you wanted to add on this? Or are you ready to uh, to move on? I think I'm ready to move on. Okay, let's do it. Athlete, episode 58, the all-linebacker edition here. Yeah, apparently. Um, First on the list, Jack Lambert, Steelers. Yes, part of that Steelers dynasty. I remember that iconic picture of him where he's missing like his front Mm -hmm. teeth. (laughs) Uh, Derek Thomas. Yeah, linebacker for the Chiefs in in the 90s. Uh, I didn't realize this until we did some – until I did the, the show prep that he still holds the NCAA record 
for sacks in a season with wow. 27 sacks in an in a NCAA season. Uh, tragically died in a car accident. Mm. Um, so yeah. Next, Carl Banks. Yeah, do you remember him? I a don't. Before that, your time. that was before I was probably watching football. I remember Derek Thomas towards the end of his career. Carl Banks was he on those? Uh, he was on those Giants. Teams? He was a linebacker alongside of Lawrence Taylor. Ah. Uh, Wilbur Marshall. Yeah, great name. Uh, also a linebacker in the 80s into the 90s. Yeah, it was on that 85 Bears team, huh? Yes, hmm. yes. Um, dominant uh, linebacker. And then lastly, from the pro ranks. Von Miller. Yeah. Current linebacker for the Denver Broncos still. Yeah, yeah. He's had some monster seasons. He has. But then it feels like he'll go under the radar for two or three seasons then flare back up. Yeah, and- yeah. And then from the Ohio State side, uh, keeping with the linebacker theme, Steve Tovar was a linebacker in uh, from 89 to 92. Uh, just uh, a very solid uh, college player. I don't remember him going on to the pros or if he did, he probably didn't last very long. Hmm. So who do you like out of that list, John? Uh, I'll narrow it down to two and I'll let you make the choice. Uh, <laughs> I'll narrow it down to Jack Lambert and Von Miller. Okay. Uh, that's a tough one. I I think I'll probably go with Jack Lambert then just okay. because the iconic picture, part of that Steelers dynasty in mm-hmm. the 70s. Um, when I think of like 70s NFL football, I think I think of Jack Lambert and that picture with him missing his two front teeth. Yeah, yeah. Him and, <laughs> him and Mean Joe Green is, is the other guy I think yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, so Jack Lambert it is. All right, John, one thing you liked this week. Yeah, one thing I liked, um, I just finished uh, John Stott's Why I Am a Christian, um, which is in response to uh, when he wrote it, I think in, goodness, 30, 40 years ago, uh, a speech given by a, a popular individual, Why I'm Not a Christian. He give, he responds in book form. is like, here are the evidences that I give of why I'm a Christian, and and you know it was it was very helpful, John Stott. Okay, good fella. Should throw a link to that in the uh, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. Why why I'm a Christian? Um, yeah, for me, I'm going to go a much less spiritual thing. Mm. The Super Bowl party food. Mm. We had some good food at our Super Bowl party. Uh, one of our life group guys makes uh, sourdough pizza. So makes the dough from scratch. Really? And, and so. so I'm about to get real nerdy. Um, <laughs> does he have a sourdough starter? Yes. And so he grows yes. the – oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 he knows what he's doing. He also dabbles in smoking as well. So Really? Yeah. He'll have to uh, yeah, connect to, with you. And, absolutely. Uh, and go from there. But uh, I wanted to give a particular shout-out – to one Heidi Class. Oh, well, you went for, I went full, you full went last full name. You went full last that's, name. That's right. We may have to bleep that out. That's right. Yeah. Heidi, in, Heidi in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Because even though she's no longer part of my life group, she's part of yours. She is. But she made sure that a batch of her buffalo chicken dip made it to our Super Bowl party. And it is delightful. Yeah, there was some at ours as well, um, and then uh, and then she goes, John, do you want some to keep some of this in the house? I was like, absolutely. So I got a Tupperware yep. thing at home full of it. So yeah, 
Yeah, it was a rough night for any measure of uh, eating healthy. But um, yeah, in the week that follows as well with leftovers <laughs> for sure. Right. That's right. So, so we've talked Super Bowl. We've talked what is love. We've talked C.S. Lewis. We've talked teethless linebackers from the seventies. We have talked about why John Stott is a Christian. Yeah, and we've talked about buffalo chicken. Mm-hmm. I think by definition we have met our standards of various and sundry topics. And so, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.